like Canada, where sometimes half the year is under snow. They've got to pay to live under snow, and it costs them a lot of money for that. And speaking of that, of course, now they're talking about the oil crisis as well. So let's see now. We've got a, a, a coming war with Iran crisis. We've got the dollar dropping crisis. We've got a pandemic coming. Supposedly the avian flu is flying over. And uh, the oil is going through the roof as well. So we've got all these crises on top of crisis. And this is the greatest con game they've used down through the ages. And forgive me for being sarcastic, but when you've read thousands of years of history, you do tend to become a bit jaded with this stuff. It's so repetitive in the techniques that are used. Why change them when they work every time? And we're being stampeded into this new world order, uh, a new type of society, a society planned long ago and written about by the big players themselves and even the big foundations that help fund it all and, and put their men out there as CEOs of big corporations who then went into politics back and forth like musical chairs. And they used to call this fascism, but we don't call it fascism anymore because the average person in this generation doesn't know what fascism is. We don't get taught that in school. And it's a combination of fascism at the top for this, this global elite to run the world and a bureaucratic, massive bureaucratic system to run the rest of the peasantry in a sort of communistic fashion. So we'll all be equal at the bottom, equally poor, and you'll have this ultra-rich at the top. And that's what they meant 20-odd years ago when the UN started talking about the coming society. The, the, the middle classes would be evaporated and you, you would have... Uh, a massive, uh, uh, wealthy uh, group at the top and an even bigger mass of, of the poor at the top, at the bottom. This is the gulf, the gulf or gap between the rich and the poor. This is a society they want to bring in. And they won't need the middle classes anymore, they claim. The new type will be called technocrats. That will they'll take over from the middle classes, especially when the families to be destroyed and new types of humans are to be introduced gradually through genetic engineering. I'm not kidding about this. This is literally the stuff that was planned back at least in the 1930s when Aldo Huxley was put out there by Tavistock and all the, the British elite to put out his Brave New World scenario in the 1930s. In that book, too, he talked about the Malthusian pill or drill. Everybody had to do the Malthusian drill every day, and that was to make sure that they took their contraceptives because breeding is going to be taboo, you see, unless you're authorized to do so. And he was one of a, an elite group, including Bertrand Russell, who became Lord Bertrand Russell. He inherited the title. That, that talked quite openly about the need to vastly reduce the population, along with Charles Galton Darwin, the physicist and the grandson of Charles. They all talked about the need to reduce this population that would just keep breeding out of control and... Um, and eventually we'd, be, we'd overcome the bright ones, the brainy ones at the top, the psychopathic type that are inbred. And that was their biggest fear. So they thought they'd have to start eradicating us in various means, not by telling us, of course, because they don't want volunteers. They've never asked for volunteers for sterilization so far. And they don't want us to volunteer for instant death to save the world. If they could, they would. And lo and behold, there might be some people who would volunteer in this day and age. They're so brainwashed. But that's what they're actually going to lead us into. And all they have to do is train one generation that, and into a new religion, like uh, Gorbachev talked about, a new earth worship type religion. And then you'll realize that the children will, will 
go forward to get a little gold star or a medal or something, or a good citizen's pass and become sterile. They get sterilized. That's the kind of world they're talking about because we don't have to have the pretense anymore about communism and, and give pensions and benefits to people to show, well, we're just as good the same way. Uh, now that communism is supposedly dead, it's actually it's amalgamated a system into the West. Then uh, bango your pensions. You see them going left, right, and, and, and center. Uh, bango all the little freebies you got at work, all your free drugs, etc., that your company's boss used to throw in. They don't do that anymore. They tell you we're more civilized. You don't need unions anymore. We're too civilized. We've changed. We're good rules now, and the people believe them. And in actual fact, of no, there's no option but to accept what they say. That's the agenda for the world. It's not pretty. I don't come along to scare uh, the bejesus out of you. I'm just telling you the truth. And it's not the truth by my opinion. It's by all the data I've read over many, many, many years that's been put out by the big boys themselves. Now, the Royal Institute for International Affairs was the, the premier organization set up to bring in a global government. But it was also set up to start off with amalgamation of Europe. That was its first objective. It also set off a Pacific Rim organization to start amalgamating the Pacific Rim, and it goes as far back as the 1920s and 25. And the United Americas was the other goal. And then it was all to come together, these three trading blocks under a world government. H.G. Wells wrote about this after the League of Nations was just um, announced to the general public uh, by the end of World War One. And that's been going on steadily, steadily, steadily. And they could not call the organization the Royal Institute for International Affairs in the United States. So they had to call it something different. They called it the Council on Foreign Relations. And they put their own magazine out every month called Foreign, Relation, uh, Foreign Affairs. And uh, you read it up because in there, those uh, particular journalists who are authorized, they're all members of this council, uh, that's where most main journalists uh, go, actually, they belong to uh, this, this organization, the CFR, Council on Foreign Relations, uh, and they, they give you the agenda, they spell it out for you in baby talk. They've had writers there in the past that talked about ending the U.S. Constitution. It was an awful nuisance, you see, and they'd have to do an end run around it, rather than attacking it head on and, and chipping away piece by piece. It was easier to simply go around it quietly, and the public would be last to notice that it was gone. And therefore, that's, that's actually happened. It's happened. We should listen to the phrases that are used at the top by people uh, like FDR uh, back in the 30s when he said, I gave you a new deal. Now, that was an official statement by the CEO of the corporation, as the president is called in the Constitution itself. And he was the top man getting a new deal. That was a new system, a new system completely. And you can, you can phrase things legally in a certain way that the public think they understand, or maybe they're rather confused, but generally don't ask. They don't ask what it means. So he gave a new deal. And he was the banker's man. He was put in by Wall Street. And later on, we had George Bush Jr. give us uh, after his daddy gave us the, the big idea coming along the road, the, the new world order with a big idea, with his son giving us a new freedom, new freedom. So he's telling you officially that freedom has been redefined 
And people should really listen to these words because they mean what they say. And if you'll notice, not a single journalist will quiz these terms. Not a single one of the big popular talking heads will address these terms that are flung out there to the public. Yeah, they'll publish them, they'll print them and publish them, but they won't tell you what it means. That's the amazing part of it. A good example of that is when Rumsfeld, uh, over a year ago, when they said that oil would go through the psychological barrier of $50 per barrel, he said, oh, wait for a year's time, it will be double that, he said. And not a single reporter quizzed him on how he knew. And bingo, here it is, right now, going up to $100 a barrel. Listen to these guys, because they're psychopathic, but they also go by legalism, and they will tell you the truth. Now, Brzezinski, Zygmunt Brzezinski, was the man who said it all in his own book, Between Two Ages. He said, the time is coming when the average person, the average citizen, will be unable to reason or think for themselves. There's a process that's been going on of media indoctrination. A generation was growing up, gradually being led to believe that the media was there to, to inform you, to tell you everything you had to know. In actual fact, it tells you everything they decide you need to know. Even if it is true or untrue, it doesn't matter. But the public have acquiesced, they've given over their ability to reason or think for themselves, like Brzezinski said, and they expect the media to tell them what's going to be important in their lives. Sad state of affairs, and this is called scientific, scientific socialism. A, a, a term, again, going back to Aldo Huxley, where he talked about the scientific dictatorship, and, and he, when he say, said there was no reason why a, a form of dictatorship could not last forever with science behind it. And he was talking about all of the sciences, the sciences of the mind, controlling the minds of millions of people. And it's happened. It actually happened quite some time ago. It never occurs to the present generation that these big media characters are privately owned, that their companies are privately owned. They're not responsible to you or anyone else. They're not elected into any office. They don't swear to tell any truth to the public. It's like any other business. They're privately owned. And they decide what you're going to think. The information you are fed will bring you to conclusions, albeit the wrong ones often. And that's also intentional. It's a propaganda arm of the big boys, the big global government system that's coming into play. This was admitted to by Professor Carl Quigley, the man who picked people to be Rhodes Scholars in his own book, Tragedy and Hope, when he talked about a parallel government already existing for 50 years that was not responsible to any people. He worked for it. He was a member of it read his book and you'd be quite amazed he talked about the media control that was essential to have media control to control all of the people that's how it works very very simply information it out in brings you to your conclusion 
and your topics of conversation afterwards. I'll be back after these following messages. Guises. 
and it wants a hundred years war. And of course, we know it's not going to take a hundred years to take on the Middle East and get it over with. So what's he talking about? He was talking about a new world order, a new system, a new way of behavior, a completely new ordered society. They love order at the top. They're very into order. And they want a society that's basically planned. Now, family planning is not a nice fuzzy term. They always use these words that are very friendly, friendly words, like family is good and, and planning is good. Why do you plan things? So family planning ends up being abortion. And, and, and so the next step is, is, is global planning. We should all start cringing now, shouldn't we? All shaking in our boots. So they want global planning because population reduction is a prime thing on their, on their books. It's, it's got to be brought down because the more people who are breeding, you see, the more they get terrified. They get terrified because they're looting you. And that's what they do with slaves. And slaves get looted all the time. And um, that's how they live in such incredible wealth. Now, a little secret here is to do with Plato. Plato, the philosopher, ancient philosopher of Greece, but 2,300 years ago, he taught about the, the society of the guardian class, he called them. He belonged to this guardian class of his own day, the aristocracy, who'd all been trained in Egypt. That's where they were educated and educated into the mysteries that taught them how to be a very good psychopath and con the public. That was really what it, was, it consisted of. But he talked about this world to come, this utopia for this elite, this guardian class, where they'd breed the commoners. He called them its, by the way, all its, because they had no mind of their own. They're all too dumb and silly. If they weren't dumb and silly, they'd be an aristocrat. And that's how it was basically decided what state you were in, so the status you had. And so he talked about breeding them especially for specific tasks. And that's still been on the books. And all the big players down through history have admired Plato. They've all written about Plato and how they, they love this idea. And to the power-mad megalomaniac, that really appeals. This appeals to them so much, uh, having a world where they can dominate the public without worrying about the public. Now, in days gone by, in times gone by, when the, the public were faced to the wall, it had occasional rebellion here and there, and that became an awful nuisance, and it was awful, awful dirty, and so on. And so they decided to use science on the public instead, and also bring the numbers down scientifically. Uh, you can pretty well let your imagination go wild, um, when you look at all the statistics of, of rising cancers uh, and, and in a population that's pretty well quit smoking and uh, rising cancers amongst the young uh, who've never smoked at all and, and so on and so on and you, you compare them to all the inoculations and new inoculations are getting all the time and it doesn't take much of a detective to start to tie things together. When did this start happening? What's happened since? What, what, what happened at the same time? What's introduced into society? That's how you figure things out. And I was escalating with the genetically modified food that all these scientists, all the altruistic scientists got together to make, to, to give us better food. You see, better potatoes, better spuds. They really care so much. That's why they kept it so secret from the public. And that's why they tested it on the entire Canadian population for 10 years without telling us you were the guinea pigs for it because the Canadian government had to admit eventually that the Canadians were the guinea pigs for 10 years. And the, the government had signed a secret deal, a secret deal, this democratically elected uh, group in there supposedly, 
um, signed a secret deal with Monsanto to test it on the Canadians and observe their health. Wasn't that awfully nice of them? And wasn't that nice for us all to volunteer up here in snowy Canada? And that's how we're, we're, we're led. We're treated like serfs, to be honest with you. And the people at the top have contempt for us. And the only reason we found out in Canada that we were the guinea pigs was because Tony Blair at the time was wanting to pass the laws in Britain to use the genetically modified foods. And it leaked out there from an NGO group, hit the newspapers, and then hit the Canadian newspapers. They couldn't keep it quiet anymore, so they had to go into damage control. They gave us a few diversions in the meantime. There was to be diversions and trivia to keep you diverted as we went through this. But they pulled out David Suzuki, who's the big green man. He's the jolly green giant for Canada, for the green movement and the World Wildlife Fund, animal rights and all the rest of it, and the reduced population, which he's already said himself on live television, CBC Canada. He said that the population would have to be reduced drastically, drastically. And he did mention so many thousands per day, etc. And I was surprised when not a single paper in Canada mentioned that fact the day after. It's kind of hard to attack a man being taught that loves animals and fish and all that kind of stuff. So they're rather blatant, these characters. And by the way, David Suzuki is a geneticist. We know him as a, as a narrator for all these animal shows where we see you know, animals slaughtering each other and eating each other. And, uh, but he's really a geneticist, a, prof- a professional geneticist, and a spokesman for these big UN-type groups that are planning our lives. So, in ancient times, as I say, much was talked about this, how to control the public. And now here's a break coming up, I believe. I'll be back after the following messages. Demand. This is We the People Radio Network. nature and personality type uh, is like and what you will do. That's how it works. 
and the, the, the society they will bring in is to be one where they have all information on you right down to what you eat every day and buy every day and you're almost there right now in fact a lot of folk are have gone step by step into this trap quite happily because it's so convenient and they don't mind that they're being watched and spied on all the time and all their data has been collected on a daily basis well those people generally will go the next step too which is a chip implant they'll accept that as well if the telemetry could be even more convenient you've got to understand those people will be gone they're gone they're called the dead in all ages those people are called the dead and you let the dead bury their dead that's what they always meant even before the times of Christ nothing much has changed most people will go that way and that's what the elite count on and that's why even Plato talked about the end it'd have a form of republic but it'd also be a, a type or a sham of democracy because democracy is not mob rule as the right wing often, often say democracy is in fact uh, a whole bunch you can count on to go their way, the way that the elite point them that's what democracy is and they go the way of least resistance the path of least resistance and the elite will then come down on those who won't go along and say well why don't you accept this everyone else does that's how democracy works so you can always count on the big mob to go the way that the elite point them same with, with all the, the, the information gathering today I'm stunned when I see people at checkout counters just pass over any data that's asked of them automatically too with no question as where does this go who shares it or anything else they just pass it well trained well trained happy slaves because you can use plastic and go buy cheap junk from China that one day will start to dry up when the job is over. Right now we're all getting spoiled with such easy credit and easy availability, massive availability of credit. But that's all going to stop, you see, and the goodies and the toys will be taken away. And then there'll be a form of chaos as they bring us through into the next system. And they have to get us on our knees until we beg them to help us and then the big boys come out with their big plans that they pretend they just drafted up of course and, and give you something that's been lying on the shelves there for 50 odd years that's what's going to happen that's the reality of this world nothing happens on a big scale by itself unless it's an act of God or the cosmos or something else everything else within this atmosphere happens and is planned uh, uh, to happen and that's why it happens, it's planned to happen. Uh, and that's with wars, that's with financial chaos and everything else. These characters at the top have been playing this game of money for 2,000 odd years. And they understand the sequences very well. It's their job to plan ahead. And when you really think about it, these are long-term planners. Remember what Quigley said, Professor Carl Quigley, with his book Tragedy and Hope, he said, foundations foundations last many generations and they have a mandate and so that's why they can pull off uh, something in the far future and never falter on their step because they can hire and retire and hire and retire generations until they reach their goal we ordinary people never think that way we want short-term goals we want to see things completed in our own lifetime that's that's what we do and we would even think of starting something that would wouldn't be finished in our lifetime. But the big foundations go on sometimes for centuries with the same mandates. And they have incredible wealth to put all these things into being. 
that's other key to it all too. You see, we are totally interdependent already. We always were. Because those who controlled the money and gave us the money in the first place, one time there was no money, remember, people didn't need it. And people did live and eat and all the rest of it too. I'm sure much happier. But the guys who give you the money then and decide what it's worth uh, will always be your master. That's even in your old holy books of pretty well every other, every culture there is. And those who borrow are always the slaves. Uh, that's just a fact. You find that Thomas Jefferson talked about the need to scrub debts clean, just wipe them off the books. At the end of what they claimed was a generation of about 70 years. He said, why should any generation be brought into this world having to pay off the debt of a previous generation? It made no sense. And that's what we have today. He said, if they do, if they are brought in, born in, with a duty to pay off someone else's debt that they did not incur themselves, and they were, in fact, slaves. That's what it is. Intergenerational slavery. And we've been under it for a long time across most of the world, all the so-called democratic countries. And we've all been born into owing debts that were incurred. You know, Britain, only about five years ago, uh, published in the newspapers they just finished off paying the debt from World War One. World War One. And remember, that's not all the debts they accumulate from previous wars before World War One. They had the Boer War before that and lots of other wars before that. So they never really pay off the debt. It's not intended you pay off a debt because if you pay off a debt, then the people have more money to spend. They're taxed less. And unconversely, governments have less taxation to take from you. You know, most taxation does never go to where you think it's supposed to go. It's the same with charitable works. We saw the kind of charitable works that were done for all the survivors of the tsunami that most folk have forgotten already because we all have very limited memories these days because of the spraying, the modified food, and all the trivia news they give us. But they collected billions of dollars for that tsunami relief fund billions and billions and for all the money that the ordinary people were sending in well-intentioned people as always the governments were all all the governments were matching it dollar for dollar and billions were collected and then at the end of all this to say they were put it in a trust fund and it'd be taken care of by guess who bill clinton and george bush senior didn't you feel much better then boys and girls Two very trustworthy men were going to take care of it. For, and, and now they're still doing documentaries of people coming over from those regions. Nothing got there, folks. Nothing got where did it all go. Hmm? You see, the big mafia is at the top. The, big, the, big, the biggest gang in the world is at the top of the structure because that's what it's all about. Governments are just gangs. They're actually gangs. And that's how it's always been. The biggest gang gets in power and then it extorts money from you. They call it taxation now. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. When the mafia used to go around the little stores and say, give me protection money, and you say protection from whom? You say from us. Well, if you didn't give them protection money, he'd drag you out your shop or grab it or seize it or kick you out or burn it down. If you don't pay your tax money, the government comes in and grabs your home. Same thing. It's all to do with perception, how you perceive things, and the terminology that's changed to cover the same type of event. It's all perceptions. That's how it's done. Very simply. 
highwayman stops you on the road and demands money from you, or demands you stop because he's got the gun, you see, then you're rather upset. You know what he's all about. He's called a highwayman. But if you pay him the money, you might go on your way. You might get on your way, depending on how you put Moody's in, and don't look him in the eye. And the same thing with policemen. If you don't challenge them, look in the eye, and you, you grovel a little bit, uh, and you pay, or you get that ticket. Some places you actually pay the cash, apparently. But you, you pay that ticket, or you take that ticket, because that's a promise to pay his boss, Hoover's bosses, which is the law, the, the legal system. Then you can travel on your way. Same thing is occurring. But you've been taught and trained to perceive it differently. The big gang is in control. The big gang. And that's what nations are. You see, the top of every nation, you simply had the ultimate gangs getting in. And today, they're all one big club. I'll be back after the following messages with more. to We the People Radio Network. Hi, folks. Alan walked back with cutting through the matrix and just trying to destroy some of the indoctrinated perception distortions that we have, distortions that we've been taught are reality. But by goodness, how little little alterations in perception can completely change what you think is going on around you. And I was talking about how the mafia would come around and demand money, money from shop owners and shopkeepers and businesses. And they tell you that they protect you if you paid up. In a sense, they were right to one one sense because there were even more petty crooks beneath them and they would try and muscle in and they would keep them out. And government took over that job of being the strong arm because that's what rises in a moneyed system is the psychopathic type, the type that becomes what we call successful. We're even taught to call them successful, those that can claw their way up and put other companies under with the jobs gone, all the rest of it. And they get off on this, they thrive on this and they get to the top, destroying lives, etc., by all means possible, every means possible, and we call them successful, then we bow down to them all the time, and when they rattle their jewelry, we, we, we applaud we applaud them. And that's how we're taught to see this whole thing. We're applauding the ones who get up through, through tremendous and awful means. That's the sad story of what they call civilization and democracy with a moneyed system, and the banking system all combined because everyone lives in the fear of poverty and that's what keeps us all going. We're taught to go along with this abusive system we're born into and compete and compete and compete. Most people don't bother competing too much and they're called the lower classes and they go into laboring jobs and so on. And I used to wonder growing up in Britain many, many things and mainly how if Britain was ruling the world and had this massive um, empire, they were all the pink bits on the map. They were all pink bits. You know, Britain owned this and Britain owned that. And I 
I wondered how we're all living in old buildings and condemned buildings that reopened for the working classes after centuries and centuries and centuries of plundering the planet. It turned out there's only a few hundred families in London seemed to benefit from it and still hung on to the money. Uh, no one else seemed to have any. Uh, that's just the way it was back then. And I realized that that's how the world probably always had been, but I had to go into the history books to check and make sure. And if you go into the history books, you'll find that's how all tyrants used to rise up in the city-states, as they call them in those days. And the city-states were artificial creations. That's why in the high occultic systems, they, they talk about Nimrod, the first builder of the city. Some say it's Cain, some say Cain is Nimrod and all the rest of it. But it doesn't really matter. It's a cane as a ruler. It comes from a cane, a bulrush, a cane. And so it's a cane is a measure of something. It's all to do with weighing and measuring and, and all that kind of stuff in the occult at the top. Nothing really mystical about it. It's all little cons. But in a city-state where you can't feed yourself, everything must come into you. And you must have something that the people will take, that the people will produce things, and that they come up with something called money. And before they, they had uh, gold for it or silver, silver was, came first, in fact. They used to weigh it out in the raw. They'd weigh it out. And even the present-day weights really for, for, and jewelry and so on all come from ancient Sumer. hasn't changed. That all perfected way back then. And that was the start of creating uh, poverty because you don't know what you ha don't have until you're told you're poor or you're not allowed to live in the old traditions, which generally was bartering. And so they had to destroy barter, and they also had to make sure that all the peasants outside the big cities would accept this thing called money as well. Then they could tax the peasants, kick them off their lands, and amalgamate them. Even the Romans were doing that when the Roman Empire wasn't a goal. What really finished off the Romans was not just the, the, the Goths and Visigoths and all these different characters coming in to, to extort money from them, it was also because the people in the rural areas revolted because the lands had been getting taken stolen by the senators primarily in the Roman Senate. They were plundering all the people's wealth and stealing all their land. Nothing much changes. We saw this go on down through the whole feudal system in Britain and elsewhere in Europe. Uh, that's what they did. The commons lived on, on the commons. That's where they grew their food. And over the centuries, the feudal system kicked them off and kicked them off and gradually took more land and more land. And now what's left of them they, they, is called crown land. The queen owns them. There's nothing left for the commons. The commons have nothing at all, you see. And that's been the, that's been the goal from day one in a money system with the same interbred types at the top running the show and conning the public. And the greatest con was to tell you and convince you that you were free. That was very, very good. And if you just fight one more war, you'll have uh, more and more rights. You'll have equality and rights and a say in how your government governed. And you'll even have a say in where your taxes go. And that's never, ever happened yet to date. Because along with democracy, this great um, paper tiger that got in front of us that we all fight over, they made sure they gave us parties. And like Carl Quigley said, we don't own every politician in a party. We just have to own the guys at the top, and they own them in both sides. It's in his own book. Read it. This is the, the historian for the Council on Foreign Relations writing the book and telling you how it is. And it's very true. Of course, your congressman or your local representative to represent you in Parliament or Congress, and as soon as he's in there, 
He comes back and says, well, I can't vote for you guys uh, back home. I've got to go with the party vote because he wants brownie points for his career. That's what floats the whole thing. And that's what he's there for in the first place. And no doubt, he's a psychopathic type himself. These are the guys that congregate into these jobs. They join the gang. Back in ancient Rome again, the Christians think that Christianity took off and started leading this new way. And Christianity did take off, but not was doing that before the Romans got hold of it. The Roman Empire adopted Christianity into it. The empire married itself, a political system, a fascist system, married itself right in with Christianity and used Christianity as a method of controlling the public and keeping them in obedience. They then planted kings all over the place and told you to obey them because they're put there by God. And, and that carried on down through the ages as well. But the rival, the rival to Christianity, because they always give you two systems. One is for the exoteric, one is for the esoteric. The exoteric was Christianity with the rules and obedience and good laws, so they all get along together and be awful nice to each other. But they had the rival one, and people don't know about this, and it's called Mithraism. Mithraism was the biggest religion, and it was an all-male religion. It was, most of them came from the military, recruited from the military. Most of them were in the military, and some of them had even been ex-slaves who were brought into the military. And Mithraism was the occult religion of the day. Mithraism used what they called the Liberty Cap, and you'll see old statues of Mithras with a Liberty Cap on. That's the same one as Benjamin Franklin's got in his famous portraits done by the French, the French painter. Liberty cap, when it's erect, signified the penis for virility and for for generation, regeneration. And when it's when it's was put this way, it was half cocked, is half cocked. However, that's where your symbols go back to Mithraism, and it was a gang. It was a secret gang of people who were taught they were elites, they were special, and they strove even in their day to take over the world. Another order that branched off from it of a noble order was called the equestrian order the equestrian order were the knighted ones the ones on horseback the upper crust Romans and you'll find these have never stopped down through the ages little boys like little gangs and the little boys play with little gangs they used to be rather um, rather innocent at one time even back in Scotland they had little gangs you see and we used to steal apples and uh, one day we were all caught stealing the apples and then we're told we had to eat them all. And when you have, you're pregnant with all these apples down your vest, it, it certainly teaches you, after trying to chew through all these things for an hour, not to do it again. And those days, too, you still be the guy that caught you. They'd probably kill the guy that caught you today and steal his shoes if they were good ones. But that's how it is. Young guys like gangs. And the big boys are no different because they never really mature. Psychopaths don't really mature. They just realize the benefits from gangs and they form their own gangs and psychopaths do by the way recognize each other intuitively they recognize a good con man and uh, they, they form their clubs and their foundations to lead us all along the path which they have designed for us and the secret societies have never ever changed the change form just like the phoenix every 500 years sometimes change their names but it's the same organizations really uh, with the same goals, which is mainly to feed themselves and to bring in the great work, that of perfecting man. Now, they're really talking about perfecting all the little people down below through genetic modification.
expedient and more efficient and we won't need entertainment and we won't even need talking heads on television anymore once this is all done. We'll be happy little zombies or the Borg as they showed us in Star Trek series as they marry us with uh, actual mechanical equipment. We'll be happy little Borg, the original B Borg. We'll be back after the following messages. <laughs> 